the author of that hymn came to the States just before his wife and daughter, and on their trek across the ocean, the boat was shipwrecked, and he gets news that his wife and his, da his daughter have died on the way across the Atlantic Ocean. And so he sits down and he pins, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It was a little bit different meaning when you understand the sorrows like sea billows roll literally were the rolling waves that capsized the boat that killed his wife and daughter. But then he writes the final verse. He says, Oh, my sin, not in part, but the whole, were nailed to the cross. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And I bear it no more. The author understands that I can say it is well because I will see them again. Because I bear my sin no more because Christ has died for me. And one day I will stand hand in hand with my wife and my daughter and I will be able to say it is well with my soul. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open up to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 22. And I'm going to go ahead and warn you this morning, this is not a, a fluffy passage. This is not a fun passage to deal with. Uh, this, is, uh, this is, in fact, one of the more difficult passages in Scripture. Uh, just as, as we read through the text of Scripture, we come across some things that are, that are just hard to swallow. We come across passages like Genesis chapter 39 with Judah and Tamar. We come across some, uh, uh, just some horrific uh, uh, passages we read earlier in 1 Samuel with Hophni and Phinehas and the immoral acts of, of uh, the sons of Eli and how just, just gross and, and, and the sin and the uh, reality of our depravity is. We read passages uh, in, uh, uh, in the text about Sodom and Gomorrah and about Lot and, and his uh, daughters and there's just some things in, in the text of Scripture that are, that are not pretty, that aren't G-rated. This is one of those texts. 1 Samuel chapter 22. We're actually going to begin reading in verse 5, Chris. And we're going to read through the end of the chapter. And the prophet Gad said to David, Do not stay in the stronghold. Depart and go into the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Hereth. Then Saul heard that David and the men who were with him had been discovered. Now Saul was sitting in Gibeah under the, under the tamarisk tree at the height of his spear in his hand and his servants were standing around him and Saul said to his servants who stood around him, Hear now, O Benjaminites, will the son of Jesse also give to you all the fields and vineyards? Will he make, all of your command, will he make you all of commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds? For all of you have conspired against me so that there is no one who discloses to me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse, and there is none who is sorry for me. 
or discloses to me that my son has stirred up my servants against me and lie in ambush as, as it is to this day. Then Doeg the Edomite, who was standing by the servants of Saul, answered and said to him, I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob, to Ahimelech, the son of, the son of Ahutub. And he inquired of the Lord for him and gave him provisions and gave him the sword of Goliath the Philistine. Then the king sent someone to summon Ahimelech, the priest, the son of Ahutub, and all of his father's house and the priests who were with Nob, and all of them came to the king. And Saul said, Listen now, son of Ahutub. And he answered, he said, Hear my Lord. Saul said to him, Why have you and the son of Jesse conspired against me? And that you have given him bread and sword and have inquired of God for him, and he should rise up against me by by lying in ambush as it is to this day. And then Ahimelech said to the king, And who among all of your servants is faithful as David, and as even the king's son-in-law, and who is the captain over your guard and is honored in your house? Did I just begin to inquire of God for him today? Far be it from me, do not let the king impute anything upon his servant or any of the household of my father, for your servant knows nothing at all of this whole affair. But the king said to him, You shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and all of your father's household. Then the king said to the guards who were attending to him, Turn around and put the priests of the Lord to death, because their hand is also with David, and because they knew that he was fleeing but did not reveal it to me. But the servants of the king were not willing to put forth their hands to attack the priest of the Lord. Then the king said to Doeg, You turn around and attack the priest. And Doeg the Edomite turned around and attacked the priest and killed that day 85 men who wore the linen ephod. And he struck Nob, the city of the priest, with the edge of the sword, both men and women, children and infants, also oxen and donkey and sheep, he struck with the edge of the sword. But one son of Ahimelech, the son of Ahutab, the name Abiathar, escaped and fled after David. And Abiathar, the son, told David that Saul had killed the priest of the Lord. Then David said to Abiathar, I knew on that day when Doeg the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul that I have brought about the death of every person in your father's household. Stay with me. Do not be afraid. For he who seeks my life seeks your life. For you are safe with me. Let's pray. God, as we look at this passage, we see this very dark day in the history of Israel. May we be reminded that you are still God, that the wind and the waves still know your name. May we be comforted in your sovereignty. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, I pray that whenever you leave here today, that you will take comfort, take solace in God's sovereignty, that God is sovereign that he has a remnant, he has a plan, he has a purpose, even whenever it is hidden from us. I mentioned earlier that that this is one of the the more dark, more difficult texts in Scripture. We see Saul, the king of Israel, kill all of the priests of God. Not only that, we see Saul order not only the destruction and the death of all of the priests of Israel, but he also sends them, he sends Doeg, to to the home of these priests to kill their wife, their children, their livestock, to completely destroy everything. And 
it's important for us to understand that the Bible and the, the, the context of the narrative does not sugarcoat and it does not gloss over these, these very dark days in the history of Israel. It, doesn't, it, it, it gives us a credible, literal account of what took place. And this, this understanding that the Bible doesn't sugarcoat, it doesn't gloss over these things, ought to give credibility to the rest of the biblical narrative. If I am writing a history of Israel, you know, I might, in my own desire to, to couch things in a positive light, I might, I might gloss over some very difficult days in the history of Israel. I might, I might frame them a little differently. I might use hyperbole. I might speak more glowingly of things and not, not communicate them as literal as we see the biblical text. But we read in the biblical text. We read about corruption. We read about some of the horrific things that the people of God did. And this ought to give credibility to the biblical text. I want to remind us of what took place Earlier in the chapter of 1 Samuel, earlier in the book of 1 Samuel, in 1 Samuel chapter 8, Israel cried out for a king. 1 Samuel chapter 8 verse 5. They begged Samuel. They said this, Behold, you have grown old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the other nations. Do you remember this? Do you remember that Israel begged for a king, and not just a king, but they begged for a king like all the other nations? And Samuel warned them. They said, if you continue down this path and continue to ask me to anoint for you, to give you a king like all the other nations, then your, your wish will be granted. You will be given a king like all the other nations. And, and we see the rest of chapter 8, Samuel warns them. He said, if you take this king like all the other nations, he will come upon you. He will oppress you. He will, he will tax you. He will, he will be corrupt. And, and, and he warns them. And they said, give us a king like all the other nations. Well, if we look at what has take pla taken place, Israel has received a king like all the other nations. Saul is crazy, and he is destroying the people of God, just like the king of all of Israel's enemies. You know, Romans chapter 1, 28 tells us that, Romans chapter 1, verse 16, it tells us that, that the unrighteousness of men has made, been manifested in us. Go, go with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 1. Paul begins his systematic theology, if you will, the gospel according to Paul. In Romans chapter 1, he says in verse 18, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. It talks about how God in His, in his great grace and in His great sovereignty has poured out the wrath of God amongst the unrighteous. And if you go back and you look at chapter uh, Romans chapter 1, Verse 28, I want us to read this. He says, just as though, 
Just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. God will eventually give us what we want. If we persist and we, we, we continue to go after and to lust after and to, and to pursue that which is ungodly and to pursue that which is unrighteous, God will eventually let us have it. He will give us unto our own depravity. That is exactly what we see in 1 Samuel. They continued to pursue the, the gods of all the other nations. They continued to pursue the lifestyle of all the other nations. And God eventually gave them over to their own depravity, gave them over to what they wanted. They said, he said, you want a king like all the other nations? You got it. Here's your king. But I want to point out Saul's actions... Do not take God by surprise. Has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? Whenever God was in the glory of heaven, and he created man, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit are completely sufficient in and of himself. They didn't get bored one day and said, you know what, you know, this this." pre-existent thing is really getting old Let, let's 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 create man because we don't have anything else to do that's not what happened god in his great grace saw creation as an as an opportunity to increase his glory god created he created perfection he created he created the world he created the universe the stars the planets he created things that that that, that we haven't even begun to, to to comprehend and we haven't even begun to fathom yet in our limited faculties, we can only, only understand and only see a piece of God's creation. But God created, and He created, after every creation, He created, and He said, it is good. And then He created man, and He said, it's not good for man to be alone, and He created woman, and He created the first marriage, and man and woman, and they were, they were and He said, it's not good for man to be alone, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and there was the first marriage ceremony, and God said, this is very good. And Adam and Eve and God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit were living in perfect harmony. And then one day, Satan entered into the Garden of Eden and tempted Adam and Eve. And we see the fall of man in Genesis chapter 3. But I want to point it out. I want to point out to us that the fall of man, sin entering the world, that that did not take God by surprise. Revelation chapter 13 tells us that Jesus is the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the earth. That tells us that before God had even laid the earth on its foundations, that he had already prepared a way of salvation for his people. Well, how could there be a way, how could there be a way of salvation if, if there hadn't even been sin yet? That's what I'm telling you, that God had a plan and had a purpose, and, and it was God exists outside of time and outside of creation, and the fall of man, sin, did not surprise God. God wasn't sitting up there with, with, with God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, and they say, hey, we, we got a problem here. You know, we, th this perfect creation that you created, well, 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 Satan has come in and he's messed everything up, so now we have to come up with a plan. And so God says, okay, well, well how, how about the whole sacrificial system? Let, let, let's do that. Let's see if that works. And then, and then a few thousand years later, the Trinity comes together and says, well, that kind of worked, but, but, but it, it wasn't complete. And so, I, I got it, one of us needs to go down and die on a cross, and then that'll take care of everything. That's not how it happened. 
The cross was God's eternal plan from eternity past and is God's eternal plan to eternity future. Jesus was the plan from the beginning. He was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the earth. Nothing takes God by surprise. Whenever Saul says to Doeg, kill these 85 priests, it didn't take God by surprise. When he sends Doeg to the homeland of these priests and he kills all of their wives and their children and their grandchildren and their oxen and their sheep and their donkey, that didn't take God by surprise. Even in the most ungodly and wicked acts, God is still sovereign. Either directly or indirectly, God is still in control. Turn back, if you will, to 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30 through 36. God speaks to Eli, the priest of God, and he says this. Therefore, I, the Lord God of Israel, declares, I did indeed say that your house and the house of your father should walk before me forever. But now, the Lord declares, far be it from me, for those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming when I will break your strength and the strength of your father's house, so that there will not be an old man in your house, and you will see the distress of my dwelling and in spite of all that I do good for Israel, an old man will not be in your house, yet I will not cut off every man from your, from your, uh, every man of yours from my altar, that your eyes may fail from weeping and your soul will grieve, and all of the increase of your house will die in the prime of life. And this will be the sign which shall come concerning the two, your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. On the same day, both of them should die. Remember chapter 2? God tells the priest, because of the immoral acts, Hophni and Phinehas, they're both going to die. But then not only that, all of their descendants are going to be struck down in the prime of life. Fast forward, 1 Samuel chapter 22. Saul, through Doeg, slaughters all of the priests of Israel. Save one. The slaughter of the priest was a fulfillment of earlier judgment pronounced on the sins of Hophni and Phinehas. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand this principle. God is not responsible, and God is not the author of evil, and God is not the author of wickedness. Saul and Doeg are 100% responsible for the slaughter of the people of God. But we see all throughout Scripture, we see God using the enemies of God to fulfill His Scripture. We see God using His enemies to fulfill His Word. Even in opposing God's kingdom, God's enemies only serve to bring to pass God's Word. Do you remember, do you remember the prophecy in Genesis chapter 15? In Genesis chapter 15, God speaks to Abraham, and he tells Abraham, he says, Abraham, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And in Genesis chapter 15, verse 13, he says, And God said to Abraham, Know for certain that your descendants will be a stranger in a land that is not theirs. Speaking of what? Egypt. 
Your descendants will be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years. But I will judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. God had made this prophecy to Abraham. Abraham did not know what that meant. But then God uses Pharaoh. We begin, we look at Joshua, the I'm sorry, we look at the, the beginning of, of Exodus, and we says that there arose a Pharaoh who did not know Joseph, nor the works of God, and so they enslaved the people of Israel for 400 years. And this Pharaoh, this wicked king, enslaves the people of God, and the enemies of God serve to fulfill the word of God. Why? Because God is sovereign. The betrayal and crucifixion of our Lord, Isaiah chapter 53. In Isaiah chapter 53, we see years, hundreds and hundreds of years before Christ was even conceived, the author Isaiah writes in verse 5, that he was pierced through for our transgression, he was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone away. Each have turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall upon him. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is silent before his shears, he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living? For the transgression of my people, to whom the stroke was due, his grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was a rich man. He was with a rich man in his death, because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit found in his mouth. Pharaoh, I'm sorry, Pilate had no idea that he was fulfilling scripture whenever he told Joseph of Arimathea, yes, you can have his body to be buried in your tomb. Pilate had no idea that he was fulfilling scripture whenever he ordered Jesus to be crucified between two thieves. Pharaoh had, Pilate had no idea that he was fulfilling scripture whenever he ordered Jesus to be scourged. He had no idea. God is not responsible for evil. But even in opposing God's kingdom, God's enemies fulfill his word. Let's go back to 1 Samuel chapter 22. <clears throat> I want us to understand the text. Saul is crazy. He's off his rocker. Crazy as a run over dog. So he calls. He's sitting there and he, he, he looks at all of his, his guard who used to be just a few days prior to they were under the, the leadership of David. And Saul looks at them and he says, he says, none of y'all knew that David and Jonathan were, were, were in a covenant together? None of you knew that there was this conspiracy going on? And Doeg speaks up. Doeg, who is not an Israelite. Doeg, who is not part of the guard. He speaks up and he says, hey, I saw David. I, 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 I saw David just a few days ago, and he was, he was in Nob. He was at, uh, speaking with the priest Ahimelech. And so then Saul says, not only is it a conspiracy amongst my, my, my military, but there's a conspiracy amongst the military and amongst the priesthood, and this conspiracy is even bigger than I thought it was. And they all want to kill me. They want, they, they, they want to remove me from office so that they can take my throne. He's crazy. 
So he sends for Ahimelech, and he sends for all of the priests from Nob, and they come. And he accuses Ahimelech. He says, he says, you've been conspiring with David. You gave him a sword and, a sh- and, and you gave him, you know, you, you entreated the Lord on his behalf. And Ahimelech says, wait a second. Isn't David your, your right-hand man? Isn't David your, the, the, the top person in your military? Isn't David in your cabinet? Of course I gave him a sword. Of course I entreated the Lord for him. I thought he was your... I thought... I thought y'all were friends. Saul said, you'll surely die. He didn't listen to anything he had to say because he was convinced of the conspiracy. And so he orders the military, he orders his, his guards to kill the priests. What do his guards do? They sheathe their swords. They don't do anything. Because they understand, while they are under the authority of the king, that they have a greater authority, and that is the authority of God. They said, shall we obey God rather than men to do this abominable, wicked act? They were men of God. They served under David, who was a man of God. But the Edomite, Doeg, steps up and says, I don't have any problem killing these guys. I'm not an Israelite. I haven't served under David. So he turns to Doeg. He says, kill these men. He goes all 85 of the priests. And he runs home. He says, go to their homes. Kill their wives, their children, their grandchildren, their oxen, their cattle, and their sheep. Saul is crazy. But God's word tells us that we should not be surprised at the hatred and the evil from God's enemies. Turn with me, if you will, to 1 Peter chapter 4. Peter writes to the church in the midst of persecution. 1 Peter was written during the reign of Nero. Nero was one of the most brutal, crazy kings in the Roman Empire. I believe that 1 Peter chapter 4 references a very real experience that the people of God were experiencing. Chapter 4, verse 12 says this, Beloved Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though something strange were happening to you. But to the degree that you share in the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of His glory you may rejoice with exaltation. Nero was crazy. He burnt down Rome so that he could rebuild it, so that he could be the king who was known, so that he could be the the Caesar who was known for rebuilding Rome. And he blamed the fire in Rome on the Christians. And so in in order to appropriately punish the Christians, what he would do is he would round them up, he would cover them in tar, He would place them on stakes lining the city streets and the city courtyard, and he would light them on fire and use them as human streetlights. And so Peter writes to the church that is being rounded up, covered in tar, put on stakes and used as human streetlights. He says, Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal 
among you which comes upon you for your testing as though something strange were happening to you. Peter's not using figurative language and imagery. He says, don't be surprised when they light you on fire. We ought not to be surprised when God's enemies come at us with all venom and vigor and hatred. It ought not to surprise us. It ought not to surprise us whenever they begin to accuse us of immorality. They begin to accuse us of unethical behavior when they themselves are the ones who are immoral and unethical. Peter also says, this is the will of God. By doing what's right, you will silence the ignorance of foolish men. We should not be surprised at the hatred and the evil that comes from God's enemies. But I want us to see God's providence and God's provision in this text. Go back to 1 Samuel chapter 22. In the midst of all of this horrificness, in the midst of all of the destruction, in the midst of everything that's going on, I want us to see God's providence and God's sovereignty. 1 Samuel chapter 22. But one son, verse 20, but one son of Ahimelech, named Abiathar, escaped and fled after David. And Abiathar told David, the son of Saul, he had killed all of the priests of the Lord. And David said to Abiathar, I knew on that day Doeg the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul, I have brought about the death of every person in your father's household. Listen to verse 23. Stay with me. Do not be afraid. You're safe with me. I want us to see this. Pharaoh pronounces certain death for all of the toddlers, all of the Hebrew children. He says, kill them all, yet one escapes. A little boy named Moses who was put in a basket in the Nile River, found by the daughter of Pharaoh, raised as a prince, God had a purpose for that one. In the midst of allowing all of the other children to be destroyed, God preserved a remnant. And he raised up that one and he tells Moses, you will deliver my people from the hand of Pharaoh. As all of the prophets of Baal stand, and pronounce judgment upon Israel, there is one prophet of God, Elijah, who stands and calls down fire from heaven. One prophet. Amongst the thousands and thousands of prophets of Baal, there is one, and God uses that one. As Haman plans genocide for the people of Israel, God raises up one young lady named Esther and places her in a position where she can go before the king and plead for the people of God. God raises up one Queen Esther to deliver his people. As Pharaoh, part two comes in the person of Herod, and he pronounces a death sentence on all of the toddlers, two years old and younger, in all of the nation of Israel. 
God sends a message through a dream to Joseph. And Mary and Joseph flee to Egypt. And God saves one baby in the midst of all of the genocide. One baby. But that baby would grow up. And he would be handed over to Pilate. And he would be crucified on a cross. Be buried in a borrowed tomb. He would raise from the grave three days later. Why? Because in the midst of horrific tragedy, God preserves a remnant. We are living in, in a time in our world where venom and hatred and wickedness persists all around us. You can't turn on the television, you can't turn on the radio without seeing the visible hand of the enemy at work in our lives. We can't look at our children and the thing that they are exposed to simply by going to school and living their lives and not see that the hand of the enemy is actively seeking to destroy the church. And simply by preaching and teaching biblical values, and simply teaching God's word, there's coming a day whenever, whenever the enemy of God will attack, the, and the day is here. Share this, this very real incident that took place. Uh, all of us know Sam Thomas. He's come and spoke at our church multiple times. I got an email this week that they have added to his charges that, that, that he is being charged with there in India. They have added murder and conspiracy to commit murder to his charges because there was a child in one of his orphanages that died of malaria. Those who are attacking God and God's people have lied and they have said that, that Sam Thomas and his people and his orphanages have, have intentionally infected this child with malaria and caused him to die. This is not something I'm making up. This is something that took place today. But God preserves a remnant. I want to contrast Saul's statement with David's statement. Ahimelech comes and stands before Saul and says, I have done nothing wrong. I have, I have been faithful. I have simply done what, what God has called me to do. Saul looks at Ahimelech and says, you will surely die. Abiathar stands before David. David, broken because of the reality of the evil and the wickedness that's transpired. And he looks at Abiathar and he says, you'll be safe with me. That's the message that God has for us today. You'll be safe with me. The enemy looks at you and says, you'll surely die. Jesus says, you'll be safe with me. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, you'll be safe with me. So this morning, as we look at this dark, difficult text, I want us to take solace in the fact that God preserves a remnant. All it takes is one. All it takes is one. 
because God has a plan for that one. And the reality is that if you're here this morning, hearing the gospel message, the good news that Jesus died for sinners, you are that one. God is preserving you through his gospel message. What does he intend to do through you? Let's pray. God, we thank you that you preserve a remnant. We thank you that we can look at the horrible, horrific things that have transpired throughout history. And we can see the reality that you preserve your people, whether it's through Moses or Esther or Jesus. That in your great grace, you preserve your people. There are those here this morning for the very first time realize that you have a purpose and you have a plan for them. That it's not by accident that they have found themselves here. You've brought them here to preserve them, to save them, and to use them for your glory. God, we pray this morning that there are those who are running from King Saul because destruction is all around them. May they find the son of David and may he say to them, you're safe with me. If that's you this morning, I want to invite you to come. As we sing a, a, a hymn of invitation, may you come and just say, I need to be saved. I need to find safety and security in Christ because my life is full of Saul and his destruction. Maybe this morning you simply needed to be reminded that God is in control. Maybe you need to come to this altar and confess your lack of faith Maybe you need to grab someone that's sitting next to you and come and pray. Whatever it is the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart, may today be the day of obedience. Lord, thank you that you preserve a remnant. It's in Jesus' name we pray.